welcome to yet another episode of Interjections, the Undiscovered Decade. Uh, this is a podcast where the four of us go through uh, the 1990s and we look at what we like to think of as hidden gems. Uh, sometimes they've been forgotten to time, sometimes they're not the most famous film in a, a person's filmography. Uh, sometimes we take a chance on a film, like last month we looked at Eve of Destruction, but as January usually goes, everything was pretty bad that month. Uh, so we are in February 1991, and we're taking a look at Steve Martin this week and his film L.A. Story. Uh, this is, uh, I was just telling uh, the boys right before we started that I had noticed there were a lot of connections to uh, a couple of things. And uh, on a personal note, I ended up having to buy it like we did Air America. But Carol Co. Pictures actually produced this. And I hadn't seen that in a while. And I didn't realize they had shut down in 1995. So I realized, Corey pointed out that it uh, had produced Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So that's the logo that I remember. It's like mm. a C coming around. So I looked them up and uh, I noticed they also uh, co-produced with Seven Arts Pictures, King of New York. Uh, they did the th first three Rambo films, uh, a couple other things like They Live in the Wizard. But I think they did um, Universal Soldier. They did. Uh, they did Stargate, which I'm hoping we'll at least talk about when we get to the right. uh, And they also did Total Recall, which we kind of pointed out when we came around to it, and Jacob's Ladder, which was one of our top five last year. Uh, so I thought it was uh, pretty interesting. But they also produced next month's film, uh, which I will mentioned right at the end just so we're uh focusing on february 1st but it's kind of funny the next two films are caroco picture productions and this this company is just gone now so it's a, a shame because they made a bunch of good stuff but they kind of they kind of went under and uh the last thing they did a, a last ditch effort to save their finances was cutthroat island oh yeah that bankrupted the whole studio yep they yeah. were already going down, but uh, they were like, this will this will do well. And it's one of the worst bombs in history. Yeah. Uh, LA Story was not a bomb. Uh, Steve Martin was on not quite a role, but he was doing modestly well. And this film ends up uh, with a, a little under 30 million. And that's pretty good for a, you know an auteur comedian. In I think I looked up with inflation, it's like 56 now. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like 25, I think I said. Makes yeah. his first weekend. You know, we we can worry about that later, obviously, but uh, we should probably talk about the actual film. Uh, so I'll give a brief synopsis. Yeah, I'll give a brief synopsis unless anyone else wants to. Uh, it's definitely um, an ex machina type. Uh... <laughs> so uh, Steve Martin. Uh, wrote this and he stars as a uh, Harris Telemacher, a uh, meteorologist, not a weatherman, meteorologist um, in LA, who uh, it's almost like a slice of life. He's kind of ambling through life. It's kind of aimless, kind of uh, dissatisfied where his career is going because he's playing the wacky weatherman. So, and he's kind of uh, unlucky in love until um, <clears throat> until he's introduced to Victoria Tennant, who is his journalist from uh, the UK. And along the way, he also gets advice from a, a sentient signpost on the side of the LA freeway. Best character ever. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, did not know where this film was going, and it did not disappoint. And uh, Jeff sort of mentioned, right as uh, Corey was about to give a synopsis, this is a little bit like Ex Machina. <laughs> Got, has that vibe well i was gonna, i was gonna say this feels very much like steve martin doing a uh, early woody allen movie mm -hmm. along with the musical choices there's a lot of django reinhardt jazz in the background so i'm like i feel like i'm watching a woody allen movie from the well the 80s and 90s there was one piece of trivia i noticed this was his answer to new york stories which woody allen was a part of oh yeah. so see i i really like this because it was like you know it was that very intellectual Steve Martin humor, like all of the over-the-top LA references. Like, oh, it's open season on the 405. I was gonna say you can't get away with that now. No, I mean, just oh, like, yeah. everybody's pulling out guns <laughs> and shooting each other on the Did I leave my shirt at your place? 
right um and the it's like a who's who of cameos too like just all these people that were just doing things as a as a favor to steve martin feels like all the cameos are funny too like uh, my favorite was uh patrick stewart yes he plays a maitre d of a restaurant they're trying to get into lidio and it's french for idiot um because they're not saying it well i guess that is how you say it lidio but uh it looks like lidiot like l apostrophe idiot no i guess that's where english gets the word idiot from is from the french not 100 sure but i think so So the hotel that they that he stays at is is french for chicken of the sea Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of little jokes and you know uh steve martin's a little bit of an intellectual kind of like woody allen so he was gonna say he's a bit of a dichotomy yeah like he he's a playwright a very um intellectual uh short stories but he also can be the the loopy wacky physical comedian and i think you get a bit of both in this it's it's subtle enough to to work and it's like yeah. you, you downplay the things you know it, it was very much la story you know because you you've got they're downplaying the earthquakes but overplaying trying to get into a restaurant um and all, all those things it was yeah, a lot of rating everything one to ten like they were rating all of their experiences on the richter scale yeah (laughs) yeah and that's funny because they're sitting stagnant like how would you rate this and meanwhile chairs and dining sets are moving behind them seismically yeah but this was also um sarah jessica parker's like career changing role she had done a couple of TV shows, like Square Pegs, she's uh, most famous for. I didn't realize that was her show. I heard about Square Pegs, but never really checked it out. And uh, she made a couple of films like Flight of Navigator, but had just come off of two, one, two season shows that never really went anywhere. And so this was kind of a big break for her, if not, not her film debut, obviously, but like it opened her up to a wider audience. Yeah, because, you know, according to the trivia section uh she uh um you know had always played like these mousy like almost best friend characters and no one had considered her like you know the sexy starlet until this role and then that opened up everything apparently and totally Hmm. like changed her career course so yeah what was the i guess maybe before this just her career wasn't so good because of just simply poor casting yeah i mean that That TV show she had just done, she was the wife of a conservative son of uh, Richard Kiley. And it was kind of like your um, This Is Us of 1990, Mm. essentially. And so this is definitely a change for her because the next thing she does is Honeymoon in Vegas with Nick Cage. And then she's easily the sexy witch in Hocus Pocus. So they clearly- I like the way she's written in this. They could have easily made her the uh, romantic foil. But um, he even tells her uh, when they're about to go on vacation, he's like, I'd just be using you for this. And she's like, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I yeah, like the um, running gag at the, her, her husband or boyfriend at yeah, least was, boyfriend. was just yeah. standing in the window and yeah. uh, just staring the whole time. <laughs> apparently, it was, apparently it was his idea that they would like still be boyfriend and girlfriend, but like see other people like to have sex with but like turns out she's very good at it he wasn't so like his idea (laughs) backfired on him uh so i thought she was kind of a good foil anyway for marilou henner who basically disappears after the first half uh he does kind of switch from her um but at least for that first half marilou is uh your prototypical LA wife, kind of oblivious to what's going on. He's having a midlife crisis, clearly, because he's seeing signs everywhere uh, that he should change his ways, but she doesn't care and is sleeping with his friend or agent. Or and he's Kevin Pollack, which is yeah. who hasn't given much to do. There's no confrontation scene or anything. He has like two lines at the dinner. <laughs> yeah, actually, that uh, that revelation that she's cheating on him with his agent has one of my favorite lines in the movie, where he's like, "And this is how I find out? You tell me." Yeah, right. Very Woody Allen. Yeah. 
you popped up another picture of Steve looking at the sign, and I don't know if you can really tell who that is next to him, but oh uh, that's that's because your uh, your blanket was blending in with her. I thought she was under a hood. I was confused. Victoria Tennant, <laughs> which so I didn't realize they were married at the time. Yes, that, yes. So this is Victoria Tennant, uh, Steve Martin's wife. Uh, they met on All of Me, which was great uh, movie. 1984. Never seen it. Have you guys? Nope. Obviously, you have Corey. It's great. Yeah. Um, did they have chemistry on that? Is she a love interest in that? Uh, you know, I forget. I think so. I think so. I, I'm more. You get more consumed with the uh, the premise of the movie is um, he's like an estate lawyer, and he's doing one for this heiress played by uh, Lily Tomlin. She dies, and she comes reincarnated in the right half of his body. So she takes over the right half of his body. He's in control of the left. It's um, it's an interesting physical challenge for uh, Steve Martin. Hmm. Is she ever on screen again, or is she just in his head as a voiceover? Uh, they show her a couple of times. Okay. Interesting. I've wanted to see it because I've heard that's one of his best. I just never got around to it. And it's funny we took this, which is sort of the end of their relationship. They uh, get divorced in '94. Mm. playing to uh, real life a little bit because who knows if their uh, relationship went the way of Mary Lou Henner's and his in this film but uh, they have great chemistry in this and it uh, it wooed me for sure this is one of the first movies that introduces the romantic side of uh, Steve Martin that we'd see more in the 90s with like Father of the Bride tw Simple Twist of Fate stuff like that mm -hmm. um, so he's kind of like uh evolving as a performer i feel like he's showing new depths it's funny because he had said in an interview at one point that like la story was more like the end of his mature uh film series so yeah man with two brains is not that <laughs> <laughs> but i i just want to get back to, to talk about the sign for a second because first of all like i i'm a fan of all these these weird like magical premises and i i like how apparently it was supposed to be like the sign was controlled by a maintenance guy who was really an alien and it was all this other like convoluted stuff but then they were just like you know what scrap that it's just magic yeah yeah um, simple is better right and this this whole movie is like a fever dream it's very uh, surreal. Especially when they like, and you know, looking at all the the references to like it's Summer Night's Dream, but you're mixing it with, you know, stuff going on that's just like everyday occurrences in L.A. Like that dream sequence where suddenly they're kids. I'm like, I th I, I think I might have dozed off for a second right before. <laughs> Wait a minute. I was watching uh, late at night, but they make an explicit uh, Shakespeare reference during the uh, Rick Moranis scene. Oh yeah! yeah. No, oh my was, god! That was, yeah. that was cheeky. Yeah, very funny. That. Well, then, then the sign also, uh, you Oops. know, quotes Shakespeare. <laughs> yes, you mentioned uh, my favorite scene, and that's easily the most magical real uh, scene that I I believe is in this, where they go to the garden and the lion's heads turn. I don't know if you fell asleep at that part, no, but no. that's apparently a reference to the Tempest, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought that was the coolest when they're kids. It's like when you meet someone, you feel like you're young again. And he felt so young that he was a child. And it's like the first time you kiss a girl on a playground or whatnot. You know, you're running around chasing each other, and it's it got me. And I fell in love with this movie right there. So. Yeah. It was definitely, it was good. But then there were also moments when, like, I don't know, I've recently been rewatching Arrested Development, and I was getting some some uh, vibes from that that, I'm, you know, obviously they took from this movie, but, like, when um, Victoria Tennant's character comes in, there's a, there's a part in Arrested Development where... Uh, Jason Bateman falls for this British character that's played by Charlize Theron. And it felt very much the, the same because it, you didn't really see too much of a connection at first, but then it just sort of goes off the rails and then ends up as a love story. Hmm. Um, 
I don't know. That's why, like, you talk about chemistry, and I didn't really. It wasn't chemistry in the conventional sense, if that makes sense. Like, you see, she seems very standoffish. Yeah, you know, he tells time, like, chemistry. Be, because of, you know, Steve Martin's um, dynamic, like, it still works. Like, even if they're being very standoffish, like, that is the chemistry. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. That makes sense. It's it's really, it's weird, but it's. You like that? I feel like I would have to watch this movie several times to like truly, hundred percent appreciate it. But I can like, I I can get that was the 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 sense that I was getting watching this. I feel like that's an LA way of having chemistry. Uh, Just from what I've heard from people, uh, Mm. you always never have time to meet each other because if you live in another neighborhood, it's so hard to get to each other. So uh, it's funny. There's the scene where he pulls away from his house and goes to his best friend who is next door and drives to her. Um, So it's kind of playing on that a little bit. Obviously, they're not romantically involved, but. um, Richard E. Grant again. To point to you, it's well, that it's Ariel, not him. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He says he's his best friend. My point is that. Uh, I think the chemistry isn't organic. It's just how people, I, I wonder if he's speaking to how people, Los Angelinos, uh, end up together. Because it's almost always you feel fake in Hollywood, at least. So does the romance ever feel real? And so he finally finds someone that's not part of the country. <laughs> yeah, let alone LA. Yeah. And just put in what you said. It's, it's kind of like the best he's going to be able to do. Mm. His typical person would be Sarah Jessica Parker. Someone with like a capital E at the end of their name and an asterisk. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, I just realized the, t- the title of the movie, L.A. Story, is kind of a little bit of a jab at, you know, L.A. Because people from L.A. don't call L.A. L.A. They call it Los Angeles. Yeah, they and hate if you call it uh, L.A., they get a little uh, buddy. Oh, well, nice. I mean, well, the California equivalent of Buddy. Yeah. It's funny. Um, another thing as I was watching this, it reminded me a lot of like Dave Barry's writing, The Columnist. Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot of observational humor about LA, but it's not done in a uh, in a very biting, savage way. I think it's almost like gently poking fun at the city while also yeah. appreciating its many, um, obviously its many like beauties and uh, hidden um depths and stuff like that but yeah. I, didn't, I didn't i didn't feel like he was uh condescending or patronizing towards the city no it's i a, think he loves a, los angeles too yeah it's a weird love story for los angeles and about los angeles and you know it's it's funny because i feel like there's also some level of the title itself being a play on like la boheme you know, just mm-hmm. LA could just be read as law, and it's a lost story. I kept saying that to Jimmy. It's time mm-hmm. to watch the story. Oh, okay. You finally got it, that. On top of it being like a, a love letter to uh, LA, this is kind of a weird companion piece to a movie we reviewed last year, which was a Quick Change, which was a quote-unquote love letter to New York. Yeah, it was weird to see those two comedians at the peak, kind of like fashioning um, Valentines to their favorite cities. Mm-hmm. And their and their love letters are both like totally cynical. Yeah, they're tinged with a bit top. of a sardonic uh, wit. Like a quick change opening with a bank <laughs> robbery, and this one like there's shooting each other on the highway. And- <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because just like quick change, he wishes he could get out of it, but he can't escape it. Right. And you know why? Wait, wait for it. <laughs> I love how that's just like a shaggy dog story. It literally goes nowhere. It's like I had to think of something fast. Because yeah. the whole time that mystery is like looming over the movie, like what how do you solve this riddle? And then by the end it's kind of uh, it's a non sequitur. Yeah, I'm like I, I knew it was you know an anagram, obviously, but you're like, wait, what was that gonna be? I'm not gonna say that I figured it out, but when Victoria Tennant is playing on her, what was it, the um trombone or whatever? She had some weird instrument. Which is it, it was a tuba. Uh, a that tuba, was the other yeah. thing. I'm like, who travels with a fucking tuba? That's the joke. I know. Because uh, they're always like, what's in your case, ma'am? A tuba. 
So that's the joke. We never have that scene, obviously, but he liked to just have us think yeah. of it. Oh, it's great. Um, she plays Dua Diddy on her tuba. And I'm mm. like, why is that the song she's playing? That's got to be a thing. Funny and then I joke about that, about when she's on the phone with her mother. Her mother is played by Terry Jones, who did a lot of yeah. drag in uh, Monty Python. Jimmy called that. I wanted to nice. with you. I don't expect that you read our document, but uh, yeah. he in the middle, we're like, that's a dude. I wonder if it's Steve himself, I said. And then Jimmy's yeah, like, I bet it's one of the Monty Python guys. <laughs> like, Terry yeah. Jones. Like, so, I just, like, I heard the voice. I'm like, this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Bet it's one of the Monty Python I guys. Come, it's like, it's just like, it's just like I, if you heard them enough, yeah. like, it's like, it's like yes. you hear voice actors on television. Like, you hear them enough, like, you know who it is. Yeah, I said, I don't know who did this, but it's the uh, um, Penguin on the Telly sketch. I thought it was that person. So I, I meant to look up who did that, but we'll have to s- check it out later, I guess. <laughs> But at least we we were kind of close. Oh yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy certainly was. Yeah, I nice. thought I thought it was Steve Martin too. Just you know, mm-hmm. a one line thing. That's good of us to like be like, that's a bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, it'd be funny since like he wasn't there to actually cameo for that scene. Like they, what if they actually literally called him on the oh. phone and they actually recorded it that way? Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Corey mentioned earlier that uh, another co-star of the film, Richard E. Grant, who uh, we may know now from things like Can You Ever Forgive Me and Rise of Skywalker, he popped up in. Yeah. Uh, but he was famous right at the beginning of his career from With Nail and I, a very sardonic British film. And so he comes across just like Victoria Tennant for, I don't know if this was his American debut, but... It's he was in Hudson movie. Hawk before this. Oh, was that in 1990 i thought it was the same year i thought this it might have been i i'm they're close i think it's later this year but he films them around <clears> the same time so uh but what, what do you think of richard e grant i love him in pretty much everything i've seen him in uh, yeah i can't say there's been a time where i haven't thought he was fantastic uh even even in the uh, schlock like warlock mm-hmm. i guess that was his american debut warlock yeah yeah that's definitely um cool. But yeah, stuff like this, even uh, he's, he's got a very vinegary presence to him. So yeah, it's always tinged with a bit of uh, a bit of British um, dry humor every time he's in something. You don't know if he's serious or not, or if he's digging into you. As I say, the interesting thing about the director is this isn't really within his wheelhouse, his repertoire. He does mostly like eclectic dramas or disaster movies like he did um, Threads which is like a post-apocalyptic doomsday movie. Volcano. Uh, the Bodyguard. The only thing that would give some indication that he knows a little bit how to do comedy, which isn't even a good one, is Clean Slate with Dana Carvey. Hmm. Like a comedic version of Memento. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. I Maybe. wonder if this is mostly Steve directing and him just like, being friends with Mick Jackson or finding someone that will agree with him so that he would be another parallel to maybe uh, the director was just a glorified cinematographer. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. Like someone that knows the technical stuff so Steve can work with the actors, you know. And that would be another parallel to Quick Change because Bill Murray's the co-director of that. Yeah. He actually gets the credit, but yeah. Now, what I liked about the cameos in this is they're not like, like John Landis tends to have cameos in his movies by like uh, famous directors and stuff like that, but they're not really given anything especially funny to do. It's just supposed to be, oh, I recognize that person. Yeah. Oh, Steven Spielberg was at a restaurant. Yeah, exactly. And this, they're actually given funny things to do, like the Rick Moranis one. The Chevy Chase one's pretty funny. Yeah, talking. And that's a cameo to a cameo. That was kind of interesting. So Chevy yes. never interacts with anyone from the cast. Yeah. Uh, but that was a good one. Yeah, and Patrick Stewart. And I don't know if this was a cameo, but well, no, it's not really a cameo. But the guy that um, I keep forgetting uh, Victoria Tennant's character name. Oh boy. But anyway, her ex husband. Um, Richard E. Grant. Sarah McDowell. Was that, was that Vigo the Carpathian? 
Or does he just look like him? You mean Richard E. Grant? Yes. Like the main character? N- yes. No. <laughs> no, no. The guy we oh, Woody like... Woody Harrelson has a cameo in this. Oh yeah, that's a, yeah, Woody Harrelson. No, no, but... yeah. He wasn't Vigo. Just similar facial structure. I guess <laughs> the hair and the aqualine nose, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's funny. I don't know who that guy is. Has he no. been in anything else, Vigo? Yeah, yeah, he was in in the mouth of madness. Okay. And he wasn't dubbed in that. <laughs> like he is in the Ghostbusters too. Yeah. But uh anyway. Yeah, so Woody Harrelson had an uncredited cameo. Yeah, he's the owner of the station that uh Steve Martin works for. Yeah. Gets to fire him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh who else? That was, was another there? one of my favorite gags is when he totally bypasses the uh the traffic and it's just like driving through people's backyards like <laughs> yeah uh, fell out of the rubbernecks or whatever what, what the yeah, i forget the name of that song at the end of uh ferris bueller yeah yeah it's kind of oh, like yes. and they all expect him to be there so they're all like pulling their laundry out of the way or whatnot yeah, he's waving at some waving. of them yeah that was good stunt work with that car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one other cameo. Paula Abdul, I didn't realize it was her. She's roller skating in front of a conversation that Richard E. Grant and Victoria Tennant have. Happens so fast. Some of these make no sense. I missed Martin Lawrence. I don't know where he was. Yeah. So, so is this movie like, where's Waldo? Because like you just listed a bunch yeah. of people I don't remember seeing. Yep. Do you remember like, Imam? Remember who? Yes. Imam? There was a quick cut. That's a product of the 80s. Do you want to know? I don't care. Okay. It's uh, David Bowie's wife. I, I said I didn't care. Why you she's in me. the undiscovered country. Yeah, she's. We're gonna see a movie of hers pretty yeah. soon. So. I mean, I'll I'll care when we see that movie. I'm gonna point around and be like, Jimmy, look. It's that person that had a cameo in LA story. And I'll be like, what? <laughs> what like, don't forget about like this little trivia that I just came upon. What uh what Bond movie was she in? Because I've never seen that one. Just thinking Grace Jones. Oh, is that Grace Jones? Okay. Mm. She's a model too. I've never seen it. Yeah. I thought it was always Iman. You think of oh. Beauty would kill with Grace Jones? Yeah, what uh what Iman films are there? I mean, she's in the Undiscovered Country, which we're going to talk about in December. Right. I thought there was another one, another big one. Uh, it's the only big one I really remember from. All right. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody else to really talk about. And, and we pretty much talked about the sign. I feel like, I don't feel like it's a cop out to just be like, I didn't know what I was, I had to think on my feet. <laughs> um i do like that there are other people that are standing in front of it like at the beginning he notices someone looking at the sign uh you can imagine this is going to do this for other people it just helps yeah um the helpful sign yeah people ask for a sign this is it this is the sign yeah this is what you get in la and i i don't know i i like that i like that they left it as like this magical thing it's it's very groundhog day um in a sense yeah, it doesn't need explanation. Yeah. It's just there. It just happens. It's just LA, man. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I guess, what would you grade this? It seems like we all liked it. I'd give it an A. It feels like a very um, esoteric personal project for Steve Martin. Like he had all these musings about living in LA and he was like, how do I how do I coalesce this into like a collection? Maybe I could put out like a, a series of stories or maybe I could, it was weird how he, it was a good way to uh, fashion a, uh, an actual cohesive narrative. I don't know. Yeah. It almost felt like, you know, a book made out of one of his memoirs. He was tweaking this for seven years. I think in honor of the movie, we should rate it on a one to 10 scale. Like they rated it. (laughs) No, no, this is America. We got to be obnoxious. It's, we got to keep the grade scale or the uh, letter scale grade. I'm gonna go with you, Jeff. This is this is an eight point nine. 
8.9. All right. All right. I'm going to give this new scale an F minus, and I'm going to give it an A plus. I'm going to fire you from this show. 7.6. No, I mean, no, I'm not an A plus. Maybe A minus. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much what I think an 8.9 should be. Yeah. This is this very balanced comedy, though, like, and storytelling. It does have rewatchability. And, like, even the most over the top parts were a little. Uh, grounded, just, yeah, a little grounded, a little tame. So, mm-hmm. like, it was like, yeah, it wasn't too over the top. Yeah, they just don't make them like they used to. Yeah, a lot of yeah. subtlety going on. This you movie, wouldn't just great. You wouldn't be able to make this today, just based on budget and type of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> right, not what people well, do in comedy anymore. Also, like, I guess the way that the internet works is like you got to like hit get hit your punchlines hard and fast and you have to be like really funny mm-hmm. like really 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 funny and like uh at least in a studio th- this comedy. was this is just like this is like pre-internet like you could you could take your time with it build it up yeah uh like let, let let you think about some of this stuff just because i'm thinking jimmy, of it jimmy every movie we're gonna look at is pre-internet yeah i know it's great <laughs> this is like that, that's the best part of this thing yeah, no one's gonna have cell phones or they're gonna be a douche about it. Until we talk about Pirates of Silicon Valley, it's all gonna be pretty yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, but like uh, once, once when you get closer towards the uh I don't know, at some point during the 90s, you get like the precursor to like the modern mindset for what comedy should be or how comedy is uh portrayed these days. Mm-hmm. Uh because this the seeds are planted around then, like one like one one ingredient's the internet, the other is well i mean i guess hollywood itself and like what's going well, on like generally just the culture I there's mean, a like, new wave of stars from snl yeah. etc like a will ferrell comedy is really popular you have vince vaughn working with ben stiller for dodgeball and then you get those bro comedies that seth rogan and paul rudder are part of so yeah, that's those, that's those the 2000s like, yeah, those are the 2000s, that's what like, refashions everything so oh you know what like like, like, like um oh, judd uh, apatow stuff adam sandler yeah, movies adam sandler, adam sandler movies, was like the biggest catalyst i think um and any of the snl like movies that came out back in the 90s i think that's like where it starts with like you you really want to push for that like over the top mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. Yeah, but like they get that from like the over the top stuff from the 80s and the yeah 70s. i mean it, but, like it's kind of just like yeah, it goes, it there, goes there's a like, through line and i i don't mind how comedy has become but uh maybe it's just that i like steve martin so there's a time and a place that his stuff can take place yeah because uh, all of me is going to be heartwarming, right? Sure. It's not something that you would you would call it treacly today. It would it would get into like two theaters and and not get Oscar nominations or whatnot it, it had. Yeah. So, uh, this this I think got Steve a People's Choice Award Ooh. for best for best comedy star, but it was not a very popular film. Mm. Didn't find at the box office like I mentioned, but uh it's definitely a hidden gem in this filmography so yes why don't you uh tell us about some of the other ones that are uh popping up in february this uh this by the way came out around valentine's day which was perfect oh, for, perfect timing for that yeah they don't do that anymore either they're just like here's a romance in september yeah it's not yeah. gonna do well enough here's a horror film in february so <laughs> Um, there was a, a movie called Queen's Logic, which was a coming-of-age ensemble movie that actually had a pretty big cast. It had uh, Kevin Bacon, Lyndon Fiorentino, Joe Montana, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Malkovich, Tom Waits. Um, and it's directed by the uh, director of uh, the Buddy Holly story. I haven't seen it. I've never I've heard, heard of it. Yeah, I've heard mixed things about it. But... Um, it, obviously, it was a minor note of that, that month. Uh, it's just about them. It's a, it's about them um, coming together like a reunion movie, almost like the big chill. If it, it, the only difference is there's not a funeral to attend. Hmm. Um, there was a Neverending Story two, which uh, was directed by George T. Miller, not to be confused with George Miller. Um, apparently this adapts they're trying to adapt the second half of the book because apparently the first movie only goes over the first half that explains a lot i always felt like it was unfinished 
I've only seen the first. Yeah, I've seen, I, you know, it's weird. I think I've seen the first and the third because the third, I remember being the first role for uh, Jack Black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he plays the bully in that. Uh, this had Jonathan T. Brandis in it. Ooh. Who uh, would go yeah, on to like Sequest fame. Yeah, we're big Sequest fans in this apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Always like that. But I, what I do remember from seeing clips of this is that it's a lot more juvenile than the first one. It doesn't have that dark fantasy element. And nobody, I think other than uh, Falcor, nobody comes back. So is he not playing the same prince or whatever the boy that goes into the never-ending story? No, no, yeah, it's a totally different character. It's weird. I wonder how they do that based on the book. Yeah. Um. There was a movie with Patrick Dempsey called Run, which is almost like his after hours. He plays a law student who uh, <clears throat> gets into a gambling debt with a uh, mobster and has to oh, call the run after he, after he accidentally kills the mobster's son. It's very convoluted and ludicrous. And uh, I'm starting to realize up until recent years, Patrick Dempsey had sub-zero charisma. They didn't know what to do with him. Yeah. After uh, Can't Buy Me Love, yeah. they, they tried to put him in this like Christian Slater mode, and it doesn't work for him. Like er, After every uh, really harrowing action scene, he has a quip. So he's try, trying to be like Chevy Chase and Fletch. Mm. It, it doesn't work. Sleeping with the Enemy. Which won the box office the week that uh, LA Story comes out. It's actually, I just want to point this out, the movie that takes Home Alone off the top of the box office because Home Alone had been out since what November fifteenth of nineteen ninety yeah. and lasted until February fifteenth when Sleeping with the Enemy took over the box office. L.A. Oh. Story got second, so it's a gonna... shame because it's a tawdry pot boiler about Julia Roberts uh, being abused by her husband and going on the lamb. I'm sure it's just who would, don't like who would Julia abuse Roberts? Julia Roberts? Why? Why would you do that? Even if she's portraying. <laughs> Like, let's yeah. not go there because yeah, this is a fantasy movie for me um oh yeah he I hates julia roberts for oh. some reason i hate julia roberts then wait did um, we see pretty woman yeah we i forced Corey to rewatch pretty woman oh wow wow that must have been that must have been hard i knew yeah i was like why can't lorsian g como be yeah pretty woman that's, that's true actually i like her better <laughs> damn it um king ralph came out this year and I think you're a fan of this, are you not? I watched uh, it for the podcast. Okay, well, uh, you're, it's fresher in your mind than it is in mine. What I remember was pretty mediocre, but maybe you have... It's not great. Grappant thoughts. Uh, I'm a big John Goodman fan, so this, as a child, I would see a moment or two and we pass, and then I never got around to watching it, so I'd always wanted to see it. And it's not great, but he's funny. I just like his delivery of lines and the premise isn't that amazing it's the entire royal family is accidentally electrocuted so they have to dig deep into the lineage to figure out who could possibly ascend to the throne yeah and they find a lounge singer in vegas played by john goodman named ralph uh so he becomes the king and they just set about trying to teach him the ways of becoming a british royal and that could be inherently funny and i actually think they could do better today especially the way people have gotten even more obsessed with the queen and what she does. Uh, but they, they kind of, it kind of gets in that Dave mode where they're trying to be um, sentimental about the Royal family, but then they don't have any, anywhere near any complications from how the British people have been terrible over the last couple centuries yeah. So just, yeah an american do it uh anyone can become a royal and that's the joke and it lasts an hour and a half um it is interesting to note though peter o'toole plays the person yes. tasked with trying to uh create a king and he's actually really good he never breaks his austere mode uh i thought it was gonna kill him because you know he's never won an oscar um like, uh, why is this the person doing it? I could have seen, um, like, what's the guy that uh, was in Indiana Jones and Arthur? I could have seen him do it. 
Or John Gilgood? Yeah, I'm thinking John Gilgood kind of part could have could have been doing this. Like the guy watching over the shoulder, making sure Arthur's not getting into antics. That's kind of what they were going for. Um, but I, I wrote this down because this is ridiculous. Uh, this is a line that Peter O'Toole has to say with a straight face to John Goodman about his stripper friend. Then we'll get her a G-string and some pasties, but you must not shrink from your duty. Yeah, stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> I loved him in it because he never broke. Uh, and I, I, I like it in the end mostly because I like John Goodman. And it gave me a newfound respect for Peter O'Toole just because... He, he looked like he was playing Dan Connor, mm -hmm. like a blue collar. Yeah, he's basically that. The yeah. one thing that's holding me back from watching Roseanne, he's Roseanne herself, but I love John Goodman. So he's I good like in the show. I feel like I should give it a chance for him, and maybe it's I'll great show. Him. Yeah. So, uh, but thank you for letting me talk about King. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, used to be on uh, TBS all the time. Mm hmm. Uh, I wanted to watch it with commercials. That's mostly why I put it off for 30 years. Underappreciated Dark Comedy came out this month with Chevy Chase, actually. And it's the it's the brainchild of the brilliant, occasionally, Dan Aykroyd. It's called mm -hmm. Nothing But Trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a uh, it's a much soured upon film that uh, I think doesn't uh, get nearly the credit that it should. Um wasn't I read something about nothing but trouble? John Candy was supposed to play something recently. He plays two two roles in the movie. But he chose to do this instead of something else that we watched. I forget what it was. I, I meant to tell you. Oh. No. Oh, well. Um apparently <laughs> on set, Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase almost came to blows. Um at one point Chevy Chase said, Do you know they're paying me more for this than they are paying you? Even though you're the writer, director and star. Um, apparently he was really unhappy with the direction of the movie. You, you couldn't really tell from uh, the movie. He's very affable and he actually plays a good hero. But um, I think uh, from the set design is very Tim Burton-esque. Uh, they, they really went all out on this movie. It's kind of a kitchen sink uh, horror comedy hybrid. It's infamous for being... I really like it. <laughs> Maybe I grew up with it, so I'm a little more tolerant of it. But um, I suggest uh, people, other than LA Story, there's another hidden gem for the month that people should check out. Give it a chance. Don't let the production uh, problems and the release date delays give you any pause. Check this out. I don't like the way, the way he's grimacing right now and what I'm saying. I've heard bad things. I'm sorry, pal. I know you have. Who from? Uh, the internet. Hmm? We, we don't listen to the internet. Mm. We are the internet. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, uh, a sequel to a beloved cult classic came out this month, Bride of Reanimator, which I had just seen recently for the first time. It's terrible. They, they need Stuart Gordon to pull off something like this. He has the uh, gallows humor and the style to pull off something like this. This one just is heavily reliant on excessive gore. The first one had uh, good characters, witty writing, and the gore was just there to serve the uh, the film. This one's the other way around. It feels like they came up with the uh, the splatter effects first, and then came up with the storyline later. Um, then we had uh, he said she said, which is kind of a chick flick with uh, Kevin Bacon. It's actually interesting. Uh, approach to a story it's kevin bacon and um i think elizabeth mcgovern and they played two um reporters and it, it's it's almost like a rochamon like he'll tell a side of the story about their meet cute and then she'll tell a side of the story about their meet cute it's an interesting experiment it doesn't really uh work all overall but it's uh it's a cute film hmm. okay now we, go, now we go to a poster boy Ooh. oh boy so you ready? You ready, Jeff? Let's do this. There we. Uh, oh, let me bring out my clock now. All right. Let me share my screen. 
Okay, uh, right. Jeff, why don't you describe for us, I'm going to hit play right when I finish talking, but why don't you describe for the listeners at least uh, what's going on in this poster? Okay, so we've got uh, a very um, universal monster looking horror poster where you've got a glowing green skeleton um, with a, uh, a mask of a crying woman on a stick in front of its face. So some some sort of this this ghost is probably going to be pretending to be someone. But interestingly That's enough, already time, thirty seconds. 30 so seconds. I don't think I can give you that much time to <laughs> figure it out. Uh, thirty seconds goes quickly. It so does. thank you for describing it, though. But uh, <laughs> why don't I? start you again because i'll ask a question and then well, we're still figuring this out a year into this um trying out new why things why don't i start your guessing when i start the clock um but yeah was there anything else you wanted to say about it uh no i mean that pretty much covers it nothing oh, else in the top of her head on that mask oh. so that might have something to do with it it looks like one of those almost half masks yes uh, let me let me ask you this what would you call this film? Uh, Death Face, I don't. <laughs> um, the, 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 the skeleton inside me. The, <laughs> the, I've got you under my skin. 10 seconds. Right. Um, face off. <laughs> Okay. Oh, good. That's I'm never not, been made yet. So. No, it's, it's not All right. Well, that was that was thirty seconds to guess. So I will give you another thirty, and show you the tagline. There you go. Buy a bag, go home in a box. Now, uh, what do you think the premise of this film is, based on the tagline and the poster? A possessed Avon lady. <laughs> Someone who's trying to have just a Tupperware party from hell. Mm. But, or just some sort of... She's a fashion designer that is ill-fated in some way. That was another 30 seconds. These go fast. Yeah, maybe we should... Uh, yeah, you're... Uh... I like it better when I'm just throwing shit at the wall. Yeah, where are you... Maybe we'll maybe we'll let you breathe a little. So this next part gives away pretty much everything in the film. So I, you weren't close, and I don't think you would be able to be anywhere near close. Yeah, to the, the poster's kind of vague, actually. It's very vague. No, it's, so it's I, very, I, I don't, can't even tell like who it's supposed to be. Right. I I don't expect you to ever. No one would get this from this. But uh, the slogan is actually into the title, so I will show you the. What death becomes her, isn't it? That is oh, no, that's later. That is next year. So here you go. This is the plot. The possessor. 15 years ago, he murdered his family on stage and burned down the theater. Tonight, he's back for an encore. Uh-huh. Okay. I don't get the uh, I mean, buy a bag, go home in a box bit. Hang on. What usually comes in a bag at a theater? Is it is it called popcorn? Is it? Yes. Is it? You got it. What? Yeah. Like, oh wow! I guess okay. That maybe is... I should have. Jimmy wins some points this year. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that! I was, I was so yeah. bugged out by that tagline. I'm gonna, I'm like, I'm gonna hand like, off. Huh? I'm gonna hand off the poster boy mantle to to Jimmy now. Yeah. Like, no, like, no. A shield. So, uh, Corey, do you want to tell him what, uh, obviously this... Well, you and I have an anecdote about this. The, the poster tells you what happens. That's the plot. So, <laughs> it's basically Phantom of the Opera in a movie theater. Yes. So, uh, Trissa and I saw this at a screening at my friend Dan's house. We had never seen it. Never heard um, of it. It was part of a double feature. Um, it was the first movie. And actually, it's, it's surprisingly fun. Yeah, we, we were watching bad movies, and we were just going to make fun of them. And I'm like... This is genuinely good. This is yeah. fun. Yeah, it's actually fun. It's a dumb slasher movie, but if you're into slasher movies, this is actually 
pretty well made. It doesn't ever have dumb logic, you know, like people going the wrong yeah. way. And, uh, and uh, since you brought yeah. up the Universal Monster thing, it has like a film within a film, which mm -hmm. is actually pretty amusing send up of uh, those types of movies. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like matinee in a way. Yeah. And you don't know who the murderer is. So it actually is kind of a secret for a while. Yeah. Uh, you get to learn about their history. You actually feel bad for the murderer at some point. It's obviously he's murdering teenagers, but you know. Right. Uh, I mean, they deserve it. The gore is innovative. There's some. It's uh, pretty creative kills. Yeah. So if you're a big horror fan, this is a uh, hidden gem of its own. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually, I, I think of it all the time because <laughs> yeah. I'm not a big horror guy. And I'm like, this came out of nowhere for me. So. All right, Jeff, we actually have multiple for you this month because we want to see if we could get a, a couple in. Uh, so I'm going to show you this second film. Oh, 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 first, I wanted to show you all the uh, German version of Popcorn. The funny part called... is he doesn't even look like that. Yeah, he never looks like that. There's some random woman screaming at a knife. I don't think he ever kills anyone with a butcher knife. There's another movie called Skinner. That's yeah. a horror movie, a slasher movie with Ted Raimi. Yeah. But this is those people. This is that film. So Ray Walston also shows up. I forgot. I, I noticed at the bottom of the credits, Ray Walston is like the, the students come to the theater to kind of clean it up to try to reopen the movie theater. And My favorite uh, Martian. Their teacher is Ray Walston. So that was kind of cool. Gives it a little bit of clout. But here, here you go, Jeff. Here is your second film. Okay. And I left, <laughs> I left the premise in because I'm going to ask you different questions this time. Okay. So. Are we doing the clock again or am I just going to go? Nah, just go. It's... All right. So we got like, it's a comic looking background. Very cartoony. Uh, they're probably outside of a mall. There's, you know, random toys and products exploding out of the top of the building. Uh, it's two people standing in front of it and they're just like it's a real photograph in front of a cartoon background mm -hmm. tagline is on their 16th wedding anniversary deborah and nick decided to work out all their differences in public uh i blurred out their faces so i could have you guess who they are uh it's originally supposed to be two different actors yeah Interesting. Yeah, I, I'll talk about that after you guess. I Jones and Bill Cosby. I don't know who who was the first one. Grace Jones. Jones. Um. No, Rashida Jones is too. Rashida Jones. Yeah, she's way too young. No, I'm, who am I getting? I'm getting confused with someone else. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I can't remember the name. That's okay. Uh, you, it's nowhere near Rashida Jones. No. Even if it's that type. Yeah, no, I, I know it's. Uh, so I kind of did this out of order. I should have had the two of them come out uh, at once, but I, I have Deborah first. So do you want to take a stab at who Deborah is? <laughs> Aunt Viv. So no, this is oh. Bette Midler. What? Oh, okay. All right. This photo completely <laughs> off. Yep. The clothes they're wearing do not belie <laughs> white Jewish people. Uh, no, I'm just just saying their their skin tone looks very dark in this photo. Yep, that's, that's they all. sure do. <laughs> I right, realize which angle. All right, I'm gonna say. No, no, no. Um. Hitler. Then. <laughs> Ellen Arkin. Not a bad guess. That's um, not bad. No, nah, it's close. Because you were going through, I actually, I was, it was like two in the morning today that I was doing this one. So I, I was a little out of it and did out of order and didn't feel like switching. So I did her and then I have the title and then uh, him. So you already kind of mentioned where they are probably. So do you have any idea about the title? What would you call it? Madness. This? I'm just going to throw out there. Yeah, Mall Madness is fine. Based on the board game. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but scenes from a mall. Huh. Yeah. I've not. Yeah. But I love how, how generic the thing in the background is. It's just the mall. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why I took that away. Uh, even the scenes is a little zany, so you almost wouldn't be able to tell. Uh, yes. Blurred out. Well, you didn't get Alan Arkin. 
I'm going to take one last chance at guessing who the, the male star is. Someone that doesn't regularly act. This is pretty much his last uh, acting performance. Right, Corey? This is his last acting performance? No, there's like one more, right? Oh, no. Uh, outside of his own films, of course. Uh, there's a few other movies yeah, after this. Yeah, of course. Of course, his own things. This Woody is... Allen. Oh, wow. That was a big clue. That was. Yeah. Outside of his own films. Yeah. yeah. You can't see his ponytail in that picture. Wow. He's got a ponytail in that. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So right. basically, this was uh, Paul Mazursky's spoof of um, scenes from a marriage, the Igmar, the Bergman film. Um, it was supposed to be originally Kevin Klein and Meryl Streep. Huh. Okay. They passed. Yeah. They passed. They were going to make the movie more dramatic. Hmm. But then uh, I guess Paul Mazursky was told by his agents, like, Maybe you should think about Woody Allen. He needs a big payday because he was in the middle of going through that stuff with uh, Mia Farrow. So he's like, all right, I'll do it. But I can only be in LA for a couple of weeks. And then uh, he's like, I don't think anybody's going to buy me as a uh, sports agent. So he tried to rewrite a bunch of stuff. And they're like, no, no, no. We're not doing that. Jesus. Um. But the, the movie itself is very plotting. It's it's very contrived how they have to keep the action in the mall because it's one of those bottle movies. Mm. There's so many ways that they should have like branched out from the mall. They should have had other people. They should have been scenes from a mall, like vignettes. Yes. Yeah. But uh, no, it's just based on their marriage crumbling. They both had affairs. Sure. And... Um, they're having huge temper tantrums in the middle of the mall. I'm like, just separate for a while. Don't stay in the mall. Leave. Or why don't you go to like uh, Sam Goody for a while? Yeah, just go. The uh, uh, It's not a good film. Step into mm. the whiz. It's just another, it's another example of why I don't like Paul Mazursky at all. <laughs> I haven't liked right. one of his movies. Here you go, Jeff. Here's, here's a better one with an actor you are I believe, a fan of. Mm. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Should recognize the dad. So we got a nuclear family with Ed Begley Jr. Yeah. As the dad. Um, and they are clearly aliens or giant bugs or something. Um, they've got cockroach antennas and ed bagley's arm is a weird cockroach hand sure so, is didn't notice that yeah um, <laughs> and there's some shady looking uh probably bob hoskins type neighbor fellow lurking in the background and it's from the creators of heathers mm-hmm. it actually was filmed like in 87 but took three years to come out so mm. one of those uh, so I believe I go next to the bottom quote. Uh, you did pretty well though about the synopsis. What yeah, do you call this before I give you anything else? Hmm. All in the family. No. Uh, the Roach Motel. Ooh, I like that. But no, should have been like called they, that. Like if they ran a hotel. Yes. <laughs> That'd like be they, they, they run a hotel in some you know small yeah. town in america you were pretty much spot on for the synopsis as far as i know so i'm not it's not a motel obviously in the suburbs uh so here is a little bit of a clue more to what the plot entails ed bugley jr uh, i don't know if you noticed below the warped title there's a, another synopsis uh, not synopsis but like tagline a new species of comedy Okay. Yep. Just goes along with the bug scenario. So I think you pretty much got that. I feel like this is a side. This could be a side story to Men in Black. Mm-hmm. The original mm -hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, but here is the premise. Oh, never mind. You didn't see oh! that. I did it out of order. I think I thought you weren't going to get the premise. I did you see go, the title? go with the premise. Did you see the title? Let's go with the premise. 
well, you can tell it. You pretty much said it. Uh, I can't just skip ahead. Okay, I'll look. Uh, well, there you go. Look, I'm I'm covering it. Sure. Four decent, self-respecting South American beetles have just mutated into something really revolting. A typical American family. Yeah, you're not. You, you pretty much got it. I yeah. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know if you could get more specific. So I don't. Yeah, I. I mean. Yeah, you would never get the last word because I it's can't really. Yeah. It would have to be something like. The pests next door, or something. Yeah, uh, along those lines, you can you can pull your hand away. Western, the Roach Motel. <laughs> you really want to do a? Motel? I really want to do that now. All right, you can pull your hand away. Okay. Meet the Apple Gates. Yeah, you never would have gotten the title. How? Yeah. What? Well, I I, I like having you uh, guess what you, or at least oh, yeah. produce what you would call it a thing. Uh, okay. Based on yeah. On the poster so i think the bug next door or something like that would work i like your idea better that is actually set at a hotel that they're trying to work be a, a normal working family and you would get more characters that way so instead of just like basically what was what was lenny Venito's show that he did where he was an alien family and mark oh, hamlin the is there yeah, yeah yeah just the neighbors it was basically that that's what it kind of seemed like but then i'm like the antennas seem very insect like and then Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got that weird hand. yeah well i would say you got at least the premise for that one so i'd give you uh you know, 20 points for that and then uh jimmy jimmy killed it today on poster boy because he got yeah. yeah i mean he got popcorn so i'll give him 10 welcome to poster boy where the rules are made up and the points don't matter <laughs> mm-hmm. uh so i didn't really have uh anything else but we pretty much uh as as always try to pick our favorite of a certain genre or topic so given that we were talking about his filmography today do you three have any idea what uh your favorite steve martin film would be i don't know if you want to do top five there's there's quite a few films but that, that he starred more. in the jerk I, the jerk is up there jerk is pretty good but like um, hey, Probably a little shop of horrors. That's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thirty round scoundrels. So that's what you two go with. What about you, Jimmy? Uh, three amigos. Ooh, great choice. Yeah, great choice. That's, the, that's the only. That's the only uh, Steve Martin movie that I saw as a kid, and uh, I never really cared to see any of his movies growing mm-hmm. up. So, like, I don't like. That's the only one that I remember. It's the only one I haven't seen. My little buttercup. You've, you've never seen The Jerk? or Nope, uh, never seen any of his... I, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen any of his other movies. We're going to start watching uh, those. Oh, wait, no. I've seen, uh, I've seen some of his family comedies. where he, like, like Father of the Bride? Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty good. Sorry. So, like, into. the later stuff when, like, he's, like, retirement age and, like, his yeah. kids are, like... I've seen those movies, but I don't remember them because they're pretty much the same. Gray hair is real. Um, is really good. Parenthood is uh, one you've seen? I think so. I'm pretty so sure. So he was just coming off of Parenthood on, on LA Story, uh, another note, and he just got his last Golden Globe nomination. It's a surprise he never got anything, really. He never really had a, an Academy Award nomination. He got a Lifetime Achievement thing, but he kind of delved into uh, family comedies through the 90s and I actually want to go through. I like I like Bowfinger. I was thinking about that just because I like Eddie Murphy too. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, when we were in college, we went to see Shop Girl, and I know it's kind of it's it's like one of his plays. It's a little dry. Yeah. I read the book right after, and it's got a, a bit of a difference. So he adapted his own work and changed a bunch of things to make it more suited for yeah. cinema. I I like both so. Spanish um, Prisoner. Yeah, that's that's another latter day uh, experimental film. Uh, I like Novocaine, but uh, I'm gonna uh, go with Shop Girl. Yeah. You have a drug problem, I see. It is funny he did a film called Novocaine after he plays the dentist in a little shop. That's right. I was kind of playing on that. But... Okay, well that's our uh, Steve Martin episode. Uh, 
Thanks for listening, uh, as usual. Uh, Remember to rate, subscribe to our YouTube channel or our Spotify or our iTunes. Uh, We always enjoy talking about our hidden gems. And uh, hopefully you'll check in next time to a film that that kind of has uh, not quite lost to time. It is heralded as one of this director's better films. Uh, but he's more famous for stuff like JFK now, which comes later this year and, uh, you know, platoon. Uh, but right at the beginning of the year, he did a, a biopic of the doors. So we're, we're going to take a look at Val Kilmer's, uh, finest moment. I'd say out of tombstone three, three of finest moments, I was going to say tombstone's probably up there. Tombstone's my favorite film. I don't know. So, it's a, it's a rubber Batman nipples. Yep. They stand out of my memory. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get into all of that. Uh, so that was Oliver Stone's uh, biopic. So uh, thanks again. Woo! Yeah.